Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are we doing tonight? We doing all right? Oh, man, here we go. All right, it's summertime. It's summertime. All right, man, we're glad to have you guys here. As Trayvon and, and uh, Oakley just said, we are in the middle of this, well, actually, we're still kind of the beginning of this Quarter Life Crisis series. So um, I want to bring you back to a time in my life where I, I think, I was thinking this week, when was my first crisis? Like, when, when did that moment happen for me where I was like, uh-oh, and it was this, all right. So it was the summer, well, no, it was, well, we'll go back to the summer before my freshman year of college. I uh, was going to a small Christian school up in the Chicago area, and uh, they sent us a letter because there was really no email back then. I know I'm dating myself. So we got a letter saying, all right, as incoming freshmen, here's what you do. You have two options. You have option A, and that is the whole freshman class before you go to the first day of class you are going to go to this summer camp together. You're all, the, all, all of you, you're gonna go to Wisconsin, you're gonna go and spend a week together, form lifelong friendships and bonds. That's option A. Option B was if you are an athlete and you wanna play football or volleyball or softball or soccer, you're gonna head to campus and you are going to begin your athletic career. And so I know you look at me and you automatically assume college athlete, thank you. Um, I chose option B because I loved sports. I played them all my life and I'm like, yeah, it's D3. I'll probably make it. And so I didn't go to the camp and I went to campus and I spent five days trying out for the team and guess what? You know what happened. I didn't make the team. I got cut for the first time in my life. I was told, sorry, you're not included. And the very next day, I was heartbroken. I couldn't believe it happened. I had put all my eggs in this basket. And I woke up the next day, and I went to the dining hall, and that's when my crisis hit. It was that very morning, and this, is what, this was my crisis. I have no friends. I have no friends. Because the friends I thought I was going to have were, was gonna be the soccer team. That was gonna be my squad, right? Those were going to be the guys that I was going to live my life with, I was going to live with, practice with, travel with, eat with, have fun with. Those are going to be my guys, and then that didn't happen. But I also missed out on a whole week of orientation where we were supposed to make friends. And so that morning, I went to the dining hall, and I realized I didn't have anyone to sit with. I did not know one single soul other than my brother on the entire campus. And so I went and sat with my brother. And I sat with his friends. And that freshman, that first half of that freshman year was, was a big wake-up call to me. Because here's the reality, and I think we've, we've all had this conversation, at least in our minds, maybe not overtly, but we felt it. And that is this, that growing up, your friends are always provided for you. They're, like through school or sports or clubs or neighborhoods or churches. Like there's always been a group of people that we kind of say, hey, this is the group of people that you're gonna be around the most, most of your life, most of the days, most of the weeks, but they're given to us. And then we get to choose from within that group of like, okay, who's, who do I connect with, right? I mean, let's be honest, that's why a lot of you are here tonight and have come to this place because it's like, oh, we've at least pared down some people that you can make friends with. But there's a point in our life, whether that's going, leaving high school or maybe leaving college where we start to realize like, oh, 
I know biology and I know some American history, but I do not know how to actually make friends from scratch. I've been there, and that is a lonely, lonely feeling. And maybe you're not in that boat. Maybe you're just like super relationally gifted. And you're like, I've never been without friends, never will be. I will find them. Good for you. But here's what I want you to hear is that the majority of people sitting around you do not experience that. And so whether you have friends or not, you need to listen tonight so that you can either help yourself, help your brother or sister in Christ and start building a life with real true friendship. Because that is the, that's the epidemic that we're actually in. Because that freshman year of college, what I realized for the first time in my life is that I was alone. I was disappointed with where I was and what was happening or not happening. And I turned out to be pretty desperate for friendship. And we're in a loneliness epidemic, whether it's before COVID, like all the tests, all the surveys said that the millennial generation is the loneliest generation that's ever come across uh, human history. And then COVID hit, right? And then that just poured fuel on the loneliness fire. I mean, the introverts, y'all were in heaven, but for the rest of the world, like, I, I'm, okay, I, I kid. Like, introverts want friends too, all right? It's just the amount of friends that they want. They want friends. They still want to be invited. They may say no, but they want to be invited, okay? So this is not an extrovert-introvert issue. This is a human condition issue. So here's the definition of loneliness. It's the state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one's desire for social connection and the actual experience of it. Right, we want social connection, we have expectations and hopes, but our real life says that is not what I have. And that's when we experience loneliness. Like I said, this topic has been studied specifically on the generations that are in this room and that are, you're watching online, millennials and Gen Z, you guys are being studied like lab rats in this area. It's the epidemic of loneliness. So last October, one organization did a study and they found that nearly 40% of all respondents said that they felt lonely frequently or all the time within the past month. That was last fall. Did they feel it regularly or just all of the time? 40%. Four out of every 10 people feel like I, I'm lonely all the time. I feel a disconnect all the time. 61% of people in that same survey of 18 to 25 year olds said they experienced high levels of loneliness. And at the end of 2021, listen to this. Half, 54% of Gen Z and 51% of millennials felt lonely. Half. That means half of this room most likely feels lonely on a regular basis. They feel disconnected from what they hope to have and what they're actually experiencing. So whether or not you feel lonely, someone next to you, the person next to you probably is because you're the other 50%. And so we need to know this stuff about our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can then step in, we can serve one another, which we'll get to in a moment. But here's what the, the most startling fact of all the surveys that I read. In this same survey, right, 50%, 54 of Gen Z, 51% of millennials said they felt regularly lonely. But 60% of the people that were uh, polled, 60% said they were too embarrassed to share that with anyone. 60% said, I, I cannot tell anyone 
that I'm actually lonely. What a lonely place to be. There's a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic that says it goes way beyond just the mental health. That's the buzzword, right? The mental health of our world is declining, and it is, according to all the tests. But Dr. Amy Sullivan of the Cleveland Clinic, she said, when you're experiencing loneliness, your levels of cortisol, a stress hormone, that hormone that causes stress, goes up. So loneliness causes stress. Cortisol can impair cognitive performance, it can compromise immune system, it can increase your risk of vascular problems, inflammation, and heart disease. You see, here's the epidemic, is that loneliness is killing us. And we're too embarrassed to say, hey, I'm lonely, I'm dying over here. And I share all these things because God has made you relational, you're normal. When you feel these things, you are not the anomaly. You're not the only one feeling it. This is a collective, ugh. But be encouraged, God has made you relational. He has made you relational. Genesis 2, 18 is always talked about in, the, in regards of marriage and dating. But I wonder if God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for him to be alone. Alone, lonely. And so he made another human for him so that he would not be lonely. So that feeling is actually normal. And of course, social media helps increase our opportunities to connect, but they still often leave us without true friendship. Right? That's why we use the phrase belong, be known, and become here at the gathering. Like two of those phrases are relational. We want you to belong to a place. Right, where you can find genuine friendship. And part of that is being known by people other than your own head so that we can become like Christ and we can follow him faithfully together. Proverbs 18, 24, I feel like Solomon wrote this knowing social media would come one day. Right, because as, as we connect more digitally, we actually find ourselves connecting less deeply. In Proverbs 18, 24, Solomon wrote, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Meaning you can have lots of friends. You can have lots of people following you and have zero connection and zero true friendship. But there is a type of friend that sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that what we want? We want somebody who's gonna stick close through the highs and the lows. And so we're gonna get into the friendship crisis tonight. So whether you call people like, like a brosif or a brother from another mother or a sister from another mister or a brotato chip, I don't care what phrase you use. Or back maybe a couple of years ago, five years ago, you know, hashtag squad goals, right? You remember that trend? Get a picture of your friend's squad goals. You watch the movie Sandlot squad goals, right? So here's what I wanna do tonight is I wanna help you, I'm gonna give you a little acrostic that what you, of things to think about when you're building your squad. And we're gonna spell out the word squad from a biblical perspective. We're gonna look at the biblical principles of friendship. Because here's the reality, guys. The Bible talks about friendship from the beginning to the end. The Christian life, the life that Jesus offers, life and life to the full, is not a lone ranger, a lone, lonely life. It is with the Lord and it is with his people. And so, let's go. 
So when building your squad, seek God in choosing your friends. That's the first step. Seek God in choosing your friends. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everything includes everything. Your friendships and your relationships. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. I mean, we could, we could throw up a million Bible verses about, hey, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, in all your ways, in all your ways, in all your friendships, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all of them. But our first step when it comes to friendship, relationship, whatever it is, is to seek God and his word. And then as we choose our friends, we need to do it carefully. So we need to seek God in choosing our friends. You know, you hear the term like, um, you fall in love. I do not believe that. I think you fall into infatuation, right? And you know what you also don't do is you don't just stumble and find friends. You choose your friends. You choose them. You can. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Guys, you've heard the, the phrase probably, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So it is important, it is vitally important that you choose your friends wisely. How do you do that? You seek God and his word and find out what does this book say about friendship. And it's all over the place. The book of Proverbs specifically talks about friendship. Like, I'm just gonna name a few. Here, here's some of the, the, the famous friendships that we see in scripture. We, we hear about Abraham and Lot, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Job and his idiot friends, Elijah and Elisha, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mary and Martha, Jesus and Lazarus, Paul and Timothy, and then at the end, in John 15, Jesus calls all of his boys, you are now my friends. And so friendship is a biblical theme that we see from the beginning to the end. And so choosing your friends carefully is of utmost importance, and how do we do that? We put ourselves in the proximity of the people we want to be our friends. Proximity matters. Whoever you are around is who you will become. Like, like, I think it was last week I, I talked about this idea that you are, become, you're, you're now becoming who you will be. So the decisions about your friendship will determine who you will be. God's word says a lot about it. The book of Proverbs, we're gonna throw it up on the screen. There, here's a, just a snippet of the Proverbs about friendship. What kind of friend we should be looking for, what kind of friend we should be. And as we seek God, as we choose our friends, here's the first step we need to do, is we need to take a list like this and say, am I that kind of friend? Before we start judging other people, before we start putting expectations on their shoulders, we need to say, hey, what kind of friend am I? Am I the one that will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with someone? Am I the one that will handle conflict well, which we will talk about conflict at the end of this series, so come back. What kind of friend are you? 
before we start judging other people. All right, so when we're building our squad, we first start by seeking God and choosing, our friend, choosing your friends. And the second is when you're building your squad, quiet, unreal expectations. What you're not hearing me say is lower your expectations. What I'm saying is quiet the unreal, unrealistic expectations. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that desperation leads us to make demands on other people. When we're desperate for friendship, when we see that the, the smallest glimmer of, oh, maybe they're my friend, right? And then we, it, here's the, the word picture I think of. Like if someone were to give you something precious in your hand, like maybe like a little bird or something, right? And you're like, ooh, cool, this is so awesome. Oh man, I wanna protect it. No one can touch the canary. And we're like, okay, I probably just need to hold it. And then, then all of a sudden, like, wait, these people look like they want a canary. And we, and we start squeezing the very thing that we want. And we kill it. Because our desperation and our desire for friendship is so strong that we actually kill the very thing that we're seeking with unreal expectations. Because we can... When it comes to relationships, whether it's dating, whether it's friendships, doesn't matter. We all come to these relationships with, uh, with needs, social and emotional needs. That's what friends do, right? They help us socially, they help us uh, emotionally. And so what we tend to do is we have these needs, we have these fears, we have these insecurities, and we say, ooh, you're gonna be my friend? Here's everything, fix me. Make me feel better. Be everything for me. Take all of my needs, my fears, and my insecurities and fix it. You're my friend. That's what you should do. That's what friends do for each other. No, 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 no. What we do, and we're not, we're not doing this on purpose, but I've seen it over and over and over. From high school to college to young adult years, I see this happen. Is that we put a weight on our friends that they cannot carry. Because that weight is meant to be carried by one friend, and his name is Jesus. And that we need to find our fulfillment, we need to find our value and our worth and our security in Jesus. But we find a person who's like, here's everything. And when then they let us down for something they could not do, we feel hurt and rejected, and we blame them. Matthew, or Proverbs 27, 17, I love this. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. That's some good wisdom right there. That's called boundaries. That's called having some boundaries and, and real expectations. Not like, hey, you're my friend. I'm gonna come over all the time, every day, every morning and every evening. I'm gonna come check on you, see when, like, no, he's like, don't do that. Let people live their life. They have, they're busy too. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus gets into the mix here. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The mindset of Christ is the opposite. You guys have heard uh, this, this phrase probably is, is, if they wanted to, they would. If they wanted to, they would. If they, if they want to be my friend, they will be my friend. That is the opposite theology of what Jesus is saying. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. 
if they wanted, they would, is a, you need to serve me and my insecurities and my needs and my desires. And if you were my friend, you would do those things for me. It's a totally me-centered perspective. We're not giving them any grace. We're not giving them any, any, any leeway that they might have a, a life to. Philippians 2, three through five, Paul writes, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own and only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ? I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And I'll be honest with you, and many of you are in here and you're probably already thinking this, well, Andy, it hasn't worked out for me in the past. I've put in all the effort. You're right, you're right. Sometimes people will let us down. Take that back. People will let us down. They will. And it may not work out the way you'd hoped. Right? You might serve somebody, care for somebody, bear a burden for somebody, be there for them when they're crying, when they're having a hard day, you're their encourager, and they give nothing back. That may happen. Chances are it probably will happen, but when it does, right, we're talking about quieting the unreal expectations. Give them grace. Give them grace that they're a person too and they're dealing with stuff too and that maybe they're just not ready or able to step in and meet that need at that moment. Give them grace. Guys, we've been given grace upon grace upon grace. So we are to, same mindset as Christ, let's give them grace when they maybe let us down. And we had an expectation that they didn't even know about. Like that was the, one of the craziest, craziest concepts when I got married. After about two years, um, <laughs> I didn't do this earlier, but this one just came to my mind. So my wife is very artsy, all right? She loves art. Like to quote the office, she has the best art of all the art, okay? And she, for Valentine's Day, had created this like book for me of different scriptures and stories and whatever. And I, I, looked, I opened, I was like, thank you. All right, let's go, right? Uh, bad move. <laughs> Not wise on my part. Um, like, she like shut down, shut down. I was like, what? What is wrong? She's like, nothing. Mm. Guys, <laughs> gentlemen, give me your ears. Pay attention when they make something for you, okay? And if they say nothing's wrong, lean in, okay? What the, so long story short, what happened was she had an expectation of me that I did not know. And literally she said this out loud to me and it blew my mind. She's like, I just thought you would understand me. And I was like, how am I supposed to know what you're thinking if you do not tell me? And she's like, well, you love me. I was like, mm, not the same thing. And we got in a big fight about it. And we know each other much better now. I respond way better, but here's the deal. She, she and I give each other a lot more grace now. Is that we have expectations of people. 
oftentimes they're unrealistic expectations. We need to quiet those unrealistic expectations. And if we have them, voice them, communicate them to your friends or whatever relationship you're in. All right, let's move on. When building your squad, understand that friendship takes work. Understand that friendship takes work. Friendships are forged. They require work, not found. Friendships are forged, not found. Just like I said earlier, just as you do not fall in love, you fall into infatuation. Love is a choice and friendships are forged. They're risky. Friendships are inconvenient. They are uncomfortable and they require work. I know that's not the movie. I know that's, I know that's not it. Like I remember I, I, went to, I worked at a summer camp and it just seemed like friendships happened because it's utopia. There is no stress at summer camp. You're surrounded by college students and you're just having fun, zip lines and boat rides and what, like you're like, that's easy. But when we left, that's when the work started because real life kicks in. It takes work, why? Because people are imperfect and people are messy. One of my favorite pastors has said this one time. It was literally a tweet in 2015, I looked it up today. But it's so profound, he said, people are messy. Therefore, relationships will be messy. Expect messiness. Huh. Talk about state, Captain Obvious here. Yeah, people are messy. Therefore, relationships will be messy. So we need to go into friendships expecting some mess. That they are imperfect people and that we're imperfect people. And I'm not gonna meet your needs perfectly and they're not gonna meet my needs perfectly. And so let's have grace for each other and work at it. How do we work? Colossians chapter three. Paul gives us the work. He says, therefore, in verse 12 of chapter three, he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, therefore, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, holy and dearly loved, put on, here's the work, put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Here's a tough one. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another anyone that has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love. It's a choice to put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule in your hearts, and in the midst of the work, be thankful. That's a tall task, but I love it. Because you know what? I look at that list, and realize that friendships require faithful commitment to do these for one another. That's what friendship is. And unfortunately, y'all are growing up in a culture and in a time of life where the opposite of this is true. The opposite is true. You know why? Because the opposite of these things requires no work. To be impatient and to be unkind and to be prideful and harsh and to hold grudges and bitterness, that is easy. And that's what our culture does. You say the wrong thing, you're done. You're not there for me when I need you, you're done. Right, this is the whole cancel culture mentality. You don't meet my expectations of how you should live your life, 
mean, good Lord, that makes me wanna throw up my mouth just saying that. Like, that we would have a mentality that you need to live, think, and speak the way I think you should live, think, and speak, or else we're done. Like, that's the world that you guys are growing up in. That is the world that you're having to deal with. But Paul says, no, 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 no. We need to have the mindset of Christ. The work of friendship is to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving. That's the work. That's what friendship requires. The real friendship. Because when we think about real friendship, here's what we think about. We think about the hard season. The valley of the shadow of death is where true friendship is revealed, or not. When you're not your perfect self of Instagram, that's when you know you have a real friend. When they are willing to say difficult things to you because they love you, that's when you know you have a true friend. When they annoy you and you are patient with them, when they're wired differently than you and you are patient with them, instead of saying, you know what, I need a break from you and eventually you're just not friends anymore. That is not Christ-like. That's not Christ-like. Just get out of my life, you're annoying, you don't tick the way I want you to tick, get out of my life. Like I've seen that happen in this ministry over the last eight years. I've seen friendships of two great people say, you know what, but I don't know, that you just annoy me, you, you tick differently than me, like we're, we're done. And it breaks my heart because we're Christians. And I think we, we, we walk into friendships thinking this should, be, this should be easy. And it is not. Like I don't know where that belief comes from. It's like it, it'll be easy, it'll just happen. People go into marriage this way, they go into friendships this way, they go into work this way, like ah, this will be great. But relationships take work. And so we have a piggy bank. I'm glad Trayvon didn't drop it. We had a conversation earlier of like, how did they come up with this concept? Why this animal? I would love to know the backstory, but here's the deal. Relationships take work, and here's how I want you to think of this. Friendships, every time that we are gentle, compassionate, kind, you are making a deposit into the piggy bank of their heart, of their soul. You're depositing. You're making deposits into their, who they are. When you are kind to them, drop a coin. When you are gentle with them, drop a coin. When you bear a burden with them, drop a coin, right? When you laugh with them, drop coin, 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 coin. When you go on a road trip, bring up the Brinks truck, dump it in, right? That's why you go to camp with them when you're a kid, bro, let's dump it all in. Like, that's what happens. You go to camp, you, well, that kind of stuff, like that's just relationship with steroids. When you shoot a text that's encouraging, put a coin in. When you know that what's, what they're going on, when you check in with them that night, I'm like, hey, how'd it go today? How'd that interview go? Deposit. So relationships take work because you're depositing into the friendship. And here's the key, is when we have unrealistic expectations of people, what we end up doing is we make withdrawals when we've made very little deposits. And we're now drawing on an empty piggy bank. I want you to do this. If they wanted to, they would, right? 
And so as we go into friendships, as we work through relational stress and strife and conflict, we need to be asking ourselves, have I made enough deposits to make a withdrawal? Because when I see relationships go badly, it's usually along those lines. Unmet or unreal expectations are withdrawals that they don't even, they don't even have the coins to pay. They can't even do it. Now I will say this, this is a two-way street, okay? Hear me say that. Friendship is a two-way street. Some of you are like, Andy, I've done all the deposits and I'm getting nothing. Walk away. <laughs> you can walk away. If they're not reciprocating in the relationship, don't be frustrated. Don't grind for their friendship that they clearly are not valuing. Just Go somewhere else, start depositing other places. I'm already telling my kids right now, like be friends. Like just, here's just, just life wisdom, all right, that I've learned. Be friends with people that want to be your friend. We waste so much time. Think about when you were in middle school, think about when you were in high school, where you're like, I think I should be or want to be friends with that group of people. And I'm gonna turn my life upside down. I'm gonna make uh, compromises to, to my beliefs and my morals so that I can fit in with that group. And when you get there, they're like, they actually don't wanna be your friend. We waste so much time wanting to be friends with people that don't wanna be our friend. That's okay. Studies show that we as human beings can really only have three to four close friends. Yet somehow we think everyone should be a close friend. Release yourself of that myth. Be friends with people that wanna be your friend. And I know that this topic is probably touching on some nerves for people that have tried these things and it has not gone well for them. Because let's just be honest, some people are just not great at making friends. It is hard for them whether they're wired, maybe they're super introverted, they have social anxiety. So I want you to understand that this is not a silver bullet of like, hey, you do these things, you will have friends. I think you will greatly increase your chances. But also, for those of you in this room who are gifted relationally, and you have no problem talking to a complete stranger, and by the end of the night, you guys are sharing numbers and you're going out the next day, like know that there are people around you who are coming out of deep pain in this area of their life. And so maybe if it's your gift, you go to them and be their friend instead of just waiting for them to get their act together, get over it. Like There's some serious wounds here. All right, next, when we're building your squad, aim at being a good friend instead of finding a friend. Change your aim. Aim at being a good friend instead of finding a friend. Right, because finding a friend is random. Finding a friend is desperate, but aiming to be a good friend is intentional and within your scope of control. You can actually do that. And this is where we take the mindset of Christ in John chapter 13, one of the transformative message passages in my whole life. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples three things. Love one another as I have loved you. And when you love one another the way that I have loved you, people will know that you are my disciples. He gives them a declaration. Love one another. 
And then he gives them the design on how to do it, as I have loved you. And then he gives a distinction. When you do this, people will know you're my disciples. You will stick out so, so much when you love people the way that I have loved you that people will know. They will know that you're a disciple of Jesus. And so he gives this huge instruction. And then the rest of the New Testament, 59 times we see a word pattern. An instruction followed by one another. Love one another. Care for one another. Confess to one another. Bear a burden for one another. Encourage one another. Mourn with one another. Rejoice with one another. And so Jesus gives this instruction. This is what you do, love one another. Aim to be a good friend, love one another. How do we do it? As Christ has loved us, self-sacrificially. And by doing this, they will know that you're my disciples. The one that we use in our house right now, just because we have a lot of conflict in our house, almost constantly, is Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor one another. That means give one another the advantage. Give your friends the advantage. I love this concept. Aim at being a good friend instead of finding a friend. And then lastly, when building your squad, don't wait, initiate. Don't wait. Initiate your friendship. Proverbs 13:4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. That is a principle that works in every area of your life, including friendships. Sometimes, and again, I can't get into the nuance of every situation in the room. Like if you got a situation, I will be down here, at the, I would love to talk through with whatever hurt, pain, baggage you've got. Let's work through it together. But this is true. Lazy people want much. We all want friends. We sit in our living rooms watching Netflix again, be like, man, I wish somebody had called me tonight. I would have loved to be doing something, anything else other than this, right? It seems like everybody else has a huge friend group. Wish I did. Don't wait, initiate. Go be the friend that you are praying to have. Go be that friend. Because somebody else, at least 50% of you, are wanting that, are feeling lonely. Proverbs 14, 23 says, in all work there is profit, but where mere talk tends to only lead to poverty. Everyone in the world likes to be pursued relationally. Everyone in the world likes to be invited to something. Everyone likes to be included. And so we need to be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, who could I invite? Who could I include If we want to take our friendships deeper, initiate deeper conversations. Initiate better questions. Initiate, don't wait. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Say, you know what, I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna plan the event at my house. I'm gonna plan the road trip. Hey, this is where we're going, you want in. Don't wait, initiate. Go be a great friend. 
and you will soon find that you have great friends. Let me say that one more time. Go be a great friend. Go do the one another's to other people. Go be the great friend and you will find that you have great friends. I promise. Too often we just sit back and wait and be like, all right, if they wanted to, they would. Eh. I guess, I guess they don't like me. Maybe they're just scared. Maybe they've been burned in the past and they're thinking the same thing about you. Here's the deal. The more mature person will make the initiative. I'll say that again. The more mature person will be the one who initiates. Say, hey, you know what? I have a need. I'm made for, I'm made for relationship. You know what? I'm going, I'm gonna get past my fears. On the, I'm gonna go do it. Let's initiate with one another. So, when building your squad, seek God in choosing friends. Quiet your expectations of other people. Understand that friendships take work. Aim at being a good friend instead of finding a friend and don't wait, initiate. Guys, when I was a freshman in college, I wish I would have heard this. Because I was lonely for way too long and I did not need to be. So what do we do as we, as we close tonight? First, I want you to remember that you were made to be in relationship with God first and people second. You were made for a relationship with your creator first and people second. Pursue the Lord and you will find his people. Don't use the Lord to find people. Does that make sense? Colossians 1.16 says all things were created by him and for him. You were created for a relationship with God. Number two, model your relationships and your friendships after how Jesus loved you. John 13. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. Step into that declaration, that design, and that distinction. And three, guard against the false gospel of community. This is one that we have to battle here a lot. Because we know, we talk to people, that people come here to find friends. And we push you and encourage you and provide for you opportunities for community. And community can become something that we worship. That it becomes the mean, it becomes the end instead of a means to the end. And so we need to guard against the false gospel of community that if I just had friends, everything would be better. If I just was invited, I would, my heart would be at peace. If I could just have a squad, I'd be happy. Here's the deal, that's a false gospel. We're putting our hope in people. And so we have to guard against that, that here at the gathering. The end goal is not getting into a small group. You get into a small group so that you can grow and mature in your relationship knowing the relationship that promises life and life to the full. We can worship community, we can worship relationships, and when that happens, we will be sorely, sorely disappointed. Because only Jesus can fully know us, fully heal us, and fully save us. People can't do that. The false gospel of community is real. But here's the true gospel. This is the gospel, that there is a God who made you, who knows you, and who is completely holy and completely good. And that's good and bad news. 
he's completely holy, which means he cannot be with sin. And I know I'm a sinner. And so that apart from Jesus, I cannot be in relationship with God, but God is good. And so he sent his son, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And he paid the penalty so that we might have a right relationship with God. You see, apart from Christ, our relationship with God is broken. And it is, it is, we cannot fix it on our own. Not enough church attendance, small group attendance, good deeds can make our relationship with God right apart from Christ. And so the true gospel is that God knows you. He knows your greatest need and he loves you. And so he has made a way for you. And his name is Jesus. And so if we miss Jesus, when we talk about community, we have missed everything. What the Bible teaches and that we believe is Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God is always doing more than you think, always. If you're in a season with no friends, he's doing more than you think, wait. God's always doing more than we think. If you're lonely, if you're in a desert season and you're like, man, Andy, I've tried all that and it ain't working. Be patient. God's doing more than you think. Because when I was a freshman in college, I had zero friends. Zero. And I, when I was in high school, I had tons of friends. I had a great friend group. And my freshman year was the worst. My best friend was my older brother who didn't really want to be around me. Right? No, no older brother wants the, the kid brother hanging out. I'm killing his vibe, right? And so... My freshman year, God gave me an unexpected and wonderful gift, and it was the gift of desperation. We actually talked about this exact thing at our staff meeting today at church. The desperation is a gift, because when we're desperate, you know what happens? We tend to turn back to God. We tend to turn and say, God, help me. I'm alone, I need your help. Please do something, God, please. There's a specific prayer that comes from desperation. And because I was desperate, you know what I was open to? Anything. <laughs> I was open to anything. God, I need friends, help me. And so my RA my freshman year invited me to this meeting of this camp that I was telling you about. I had never been to the camp, I had never heard of the camp. But I saw the video and I was like, those are Christians? Especially those girls, they love Jesus? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, sign me up. And I moved halfway across the country to a camp I had never seen, never heard of. And God provided lifelong friends for me in my desperation. And so desperation can be a gift. Now I don't live near my friends from that season of my life. I'm working on friendships still to this day. I'm still working but I can call up those friends from 20 plus years ago and pick up right where we left off and have real conversations and have real tears and real support. I could call them right now and I haven't talked to them in years. So God will work even in your desperation. He will first call you to himself and then he will meet you right where you're at. We'll leave these up on the screen as we go into 120 seconds. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you.
that you call us friends, that you have shared your plan of salvation with us. You, you have shared with us what you're doing to redeem all of creation and all people, and we are no longer your servants. You call us friend. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, this world that we live in does the opposite of what we need. It does the opposite of what we want. It offers fake, temporary, and fleeting friendship. But it is the family of God that offers life and life to the full. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to trust you with our friendships. God, that you would give us the boldness and the strength and the maturity to go and apologize if we've hurt a friendship by putting unrealized expectations on it. God, I pray you'd help us to apologize if we've been unwilling to forgive a friend for something that they did that they didn't even know they did. God, help us be people that reconcile relationships, not ruin them. Lord, I pray for those in this room that do not know you, that before they pursue friendships with people, Lord, they would pursue their relationship with you and that they would not leave here tonight with, without doing that. And so Lord, I pray that as we continue to sit here and just pray and contemplate and then sing again, Lord, that you would move in our lives, that you would do something that's for our good and it would result in your glory. In your son's name, amen.